Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. I am going to, uh, I'm excited to share this with you today. Um, it's good to see new faces today. Y'all just keep bringing the new faces in. Invite your friends. And uh, I know it's going to be um, uh, the, next, the next coming weeks and months, we're going to see something incredible happen in this house. I believe it as much as I know my name is David Lee Binion. I know that God is sending already uh, an incredible thing in this house. Uh, so Lisa... Lisa, come here. Let's talk a little bit about what, what, let's talk about uh, what God was speaking to you when you came in today. Because that just, it's just so in step with this. There's, okay, we've always been a praying people. It's one of our pillars. As you become a part of the church and you be, go, go to our Connect class, you see we introduce you to our, our bylaws and we show you our, our pillars. And one of those is that we're a people of prayer, right? That's one, we have five Ps. Presence. Uh, power, prayer, and so, so, but, but, but I'm not going to go through all of them, but, but prayer. So we've always been a people of prayer, always believed uh, in prayer, but I feel like it's at the top of this year that we have stepped into, we've been experiencing a spirit of prayer. We've been gripped by more uh, in this movement of prayer. And uh, so I'm going to, hand you this microphone and just share. Now, don't get carried away. You can't go for an hour, but just share what we were talking about. I, I'm obedient and I follow directions well. <laughs> I just want to tell you what happened for me when I came in this morning. Um, I, I get to, to partner with the prayer team and um, be, um, I guess, the leader of the prayer team. In. And so we come in here every Sunday morning at 830 to pray for the service and to pray for whatever God directs us to pray for. So we are um, building for what's going to happen um, every every Sunday morning. So um, since the beginning of the year, God told us that he was going to give us a word when we came in here that was going to be directional for us. And he's been so faithful in doing that. And so this morning as we came, there was about four of us. We felt really this release to um, pray in a way that God directs us. And I say that because we've been in a pandemic and I want y'all to think about that, okay? But as we've been in a pandemic, we haven't all necessarily done what God has said because we were trying to figure this thing out, right? And so we, there were things that were added on that were necessary. But what we heard the Lord say this morning, and I think that it makes sense that there was enough room for us to hear it now because there's been such an intense um, time of prayer that we could hear it. But we heard, heard the Lord say this morning that those things that were added on to us that should not be added on to us and that would hinder us, it's time for us to break those off. And it's time for us to pray, and it's time for us to corporately gather 
in the way God says do it. Now, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you to know what God says do. And so we are released from, and I'm speaking to you spiritually now, it's broken off of us. We have come through it. We're released and we're free. You heard it in the music this morning. You heard it in the music this morning. It's in the house. It's in the house. We've gotten somewhere. We have gained some things. We are right on the brink. We are right on the brink of flood. Flooding. Flooding. It's going to overflow. It's going to overflow. We are right in the, on the brink of almost being overtaken and we're going to have to swim and we're going to have to learn how to swim. But our first step is that we have got to say, these are the things of the Lord and these are the ways of the Lord. And this is what's established in our house. And this is how we're going to serve God. And this is how we're going to pray. And this is how we're going to lay hands on people. And this is how we are going to loose people and how we're going to set them free. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to have kingdom in this house. And the first way that we're going to do that is in prayer. Amen. See, there are people that tell us to keep your distance. But the word says you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. There will be there are people that will tell you 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 you, you they they say things that grip you with fear and cause you to stay home wherever the camera is. And you're still afraid to come to the house of the Lord. But the word of God says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Now, this is, this is not a judgment declaration. This is an opposing scriptural perspective. And, and to just make you aware that this was a demonic strategy to silence and stop the church of the living God. But this is not the first generation that the demonic realm has tried to stop the church and squelch the church and persecute the church. This has been going on since the church was birthed in the second chapter of Acts. And it won't be the last time. But we are the people of God and we rise up. Ah. Uh, so, so I'm talking about prayer today. Uh, the name, the title of my sermon is "Never Trust Anyone That Doesn't Walk Without a, That Doesn't Walk with a Lamp." Did I say that right? Never trust anyone that doesn't walk without a lamp. That's it's that's it. Never trust. Everybody say never trust anyone that doesn't walk without a lamp. What do you mean? What do you mean? I'll tell you what I mean. You know what I mean, right? I'll get my grammar. <laughs> Can someone say homeschool? <laughs> well, I was in public school till seventh grade, and then. Uh, I'm going to talk about Jacob. I'm going to talk about this, this uh, wrestling match that Jacob had 
with some kind of being from another realm. And it left him walking with a limp. So, so when I think of wrestling, I mean, so I'm 59 years old. Uh, I grew up in McKinney. I remember as a little kid, every Saturday night, I think it was at 10 o'clock, my granny would come over and we would watch wrestling on Channel 11. Anybody else from around here? Is that, it's like, was that, I don't know if that was just in the Dallas area if, or if that was everywhere, but there was a family here in Dallas that were on every Saturday night and they were America's family in, when, in terms of the wrestling world. And their last name was Von Erich. Anybody ever watch the Von Erichs wrestle? There we go. There we go. All right. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not too old to be out of the reach of understanding. Uh, so the, I loved watching the Von Erichs. There were three brothers and a dad, and they were so good. And we watched it every Saturday night. I'm surprised that my mom and dad let us stay up that late. I think it was because my Pentecostal granny with her big hairdo would come over and watch it with us. I remember, I remember once they had a, uh, they were traveling around because there was this place downtown Dallas where they always had their wrestling matches, where they filmed them. But they came to McKinney to a high school or something and had a wrestling match, and the Bon Erics were there. And on the front page of the McKinney paper was my Granny Binion with her white hair all up in those little <laughs> rolls, really high, and her fist is in the air, and she's... And, and when I saw the paper, I said, Granny, what is this? She says, David, I was close enough to touch him. <laughs> and I said, well, Granny, what did you want to touch him for? <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, having said all of that, I now have to also admit that uh, we would, my brother's, Mostly, my brothers and I would wrestle with all of our cousins. My Uncle James had boys all the same age as my dad and mom. And so they would, we were together all the time. And so Dwight, Dwight, one syllable, Dwight. <laughs> uh, he had a sister named Teresa, two syllables. <laughs> That's the way we said it. That's the way we said it. Uh, so Dwight and I would wrestle. I remember wrestling with Dwight, and I was just a nerd, and I was, I was not an athlete by any stretch of the imagination. And Dwight always pinned me down until I cried. And then I didn't want anybody to see me crying, but I couldn't move. And you kind of, you know, almost, it's almost like claustrophobic. You almost get panicked because you're trapped and you can't move. And then you cry because you can't move. And so that was me and Dwight. I hated Dwight. <laughs> Hate is a strong word. He was my age. He was no bigger than me, but he was stronger than me. In fact, you know, whenever you have sports, uh, uh, when you're playing in the backyard or you're at school and they start picking teams, I was always the last one picked. I love getting, I love it when you feel sorry for me. <laughs> uh, because they all knew I couldn't do anything. And so then they would just kind of, you know, graciously call me because I was left and the teams had to be even, but they would just kind of uh, just 
I would just kind of watch them as they played, and then the ball never came to me. I was pitiful. I mean, I was, I was pitiful. Uh, I remember going to first grade, and uh, they wanted us to run a lap in the schoolyard. And I, I ran one lap around and started throwing up. So they quit asking me to run. So, so y'all, I was a wimp. Oh, I was playing piano by the time I was six years old. I was playing in church by the time I was seven years old. And I played better than anybody else in the church. But I was a little weak, wimpy athlete. So I could, I could really could take this and give you some history about. I remember when I moved to Indiana right out of Chicago, and, and I had a friend in the church who was a basketball player, and he would teach me to, to how to shoot and how to jump and then tilt my hand. I'm like, you got to do that? You gotta, that this is going to work? And so I, I would do it, and I would always get the three-pointers, and I would... I would go and it would land and I worked and I did it and we would just stand and talk for an hour and I would just do it and he would do it then I would do it and I would just and I was like oh oh okay okay and so but we never really played basketball and then one night after church uh they decide we're gonna go to the school gym and we're gonna play basketball so my buddy said come on David I got picked to be on his team so, so we're, you know, the, the game started and I watched, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm a little, have a little more education. I, you know, I loved watching the Bulls when we lived in Chicago. So, so, but we're playing and I would run, uh, it was with Joe Hirschman. Did you ever meet Joe Hirschman? I would run because everybody's running this way. I would run with them. And then I would run back the other way to the other side of the, the basketball court. And, and after about 10 times going back and forth, my buddy Joe said, David, who, who you, who you guarding? I'm like, guard? <laughs> Nobody, nobody told me I was supposed to go. And so, so finally, finally, we're, we're, I'm at, at the, at the, in the, about the middle way of the, of the basketball thing, whatever it's called. And so where the big circle is where you shoot the three-pointer, and I'm just kind of running, and then all of a sudden I turn, and somebody throws me the ball, and I got it, and they all just stop playing. Everybody just stops, like, what is he going to do with the ball? And I go... But I still can't wrestle. I'm still not that strong. Uh, well, it's... trying to decide how transparent to be. Uh, I think I need to get on course. I want to talk to you uh, about this wrestling match that Jacob had. Jacob wrestled all night with the angel praying for a blessing. Sometimes prayer requires wrestling. We don't like it when you have to wrestle. We want the fast food version. 
And sometimes that happens. Prayed for people and instantly tumors leave their bodies. Prayed for people, instantly shattered bones would come back together. I've seen it. I've watched it. But when it comes to praying for your destiny, praying for a sweeping move of God in the earth, we pray and we pray. And as the leader of the prayer initiative, um, you don't want to get weary in your pursuit because you've got people watching you. And if they don't see something soon, they might walk on you. In the book of Acts, there were 120 people that prayed for 10 days. Praying for the promise, waiting for the promise. 10 days, then in 10 minutes, Peter steps up and preaches and 3,000 people get saved. 10 days, 10 minutes. It took David three months to consecrate and prepare to bring the ark of God's presence into the city of Jerusalem and into the nation of Israel. He tried and failed once then spent three months in prayer and study and consecration. There was at one point when the ark was left at Abinadab's house that there, I think there were 70 young men wanted to take a peek. Now we, talk, we know that Uzzah died, but there was, we, we forget the part of this, these 70 young men that are trying to take a peek inside the ark and God strikes them dead. So, you know, this is serious business. So it takes David a lot of forethought before we try to approach this again. But his passion is to get the presence of God into the nation. We want it to happen overnight. But prayer is not a quick fix. It's a lifestyle. It's not something you do before a meal or before you go to bed at night. Or that you do at a gathering at church with the serve team before we get started, say the little prayer. And all those things are important connect points and they're authentic, legitimate prayers. But we do those things because we are a people of prayer. God's people need more than just another good meeting that sends goosebumps up and down your spines. We need a God meeting that leaves us with a limp. Where are the Jacobs that will lay hold of God and wrestle with their destiny? Until it is changed. Who will take hold of God and say. I'm not going to let you go. Until you bless me. Amen. So I'm going to read you this text. Genesis the 32nd chapter. I'm reading from the NIV. If you have real Bibles. I mean, you might have, I mean, a real Bible, it's still a real Bible if it's in your phone, but if you have a, a physical Bible, well, your phone is still physical. <laughs> Quit qualifying, David. Uh, 
If you have a book with pages, uh, <laughs> Genesis, the 32nd chapter, starting with the 24th verse. I'm going to read three verses to start with. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now it would be easy to read this and make it conversational. But what's happening here is not a casual conversation. Where's, where's, come here, Larry. You get to be the angel. And I'm going to be Jacob. Now, you remember Jacob was the one that wanted to stay in the tent next to mama. So uh, Esau was the, the strong one. So it kind of fits, right? Um, okay, yes, I just told you I'm a mama's boy. Uh, but so, so Jacob laid hold of now, he just called him a man in the scripture, but Jacob knew that it was more than a man. He didn't, he's trying to figure out how to communicate this. Why don't you hold that? And then here comes Jacob. <laughs> Seriously. Now you have to kind of like try to shake me loose. Oh, God, don't let him shake me. <laughs> and the angel said, let me go. It's almost daybreak. You must let me go. And he said, I, you got to understand that it was not just a casual He's got a tight grip. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then what happened? I will not let you go until you bless me. People wonder how could Jacob use such improper language with God Almighty. I believe that Jacob, the heel grabber, you know, Jacob, when he was born, uh, he grabbed the heel of Esau and, and then he, it, it's, I won't even go there, but it just, he used the only terminology he understood. He may have been a patriarch, but he was not a theologian. People of passion will desperately pursue what the educated will tell them can't be caught. When I hear y'all respond like that, it makes me want to say it again. People of passion will desperately pursue what the educated tell them can't be caught. Did you get that, Emily? You, you were, she's such a note taker. Jacob knew what a blessing was because he remembered what happened when his father laid his hand upon his head. You got to understand, when we talk about blessings... And Jacob is using this term blessing. This is not, he, he's, he's thinking about what happened when his dad made declaration over him. When he tricked his dad, he deceived his dad and got the blessing. 
He said, all I know is that my father's blessing changed my life and made things different. And I've got to have something like that again. The only thing I know is to call it a blessing. So touch me. Touch me. I've got to have it. I've already had a blessing from the earthly perspective. I need one from a heavenly perspective. I I perceive that you're not from this realm and I must have this heavenly blessing. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. We often approach God with a discount store mentality. Whether we come for revival, physical healing, or a financial blessing, we hope to get what we want at the cheapest price in the shortest amount of time. I don't know about you, but I've never seen God work that way. We like to line up like we've found some celestial blue light special with our lists of prayers and petitions. Then we say, bless me. I think we should start praying that God would not answer our exact requests, but answer according to our need instead. We know what we want, but do we know what we need? Think about that while I take a drink. We know what we want. We all know what we want. My daughter texted me while they were in Orlando the last day, and they were going shopping. They were going to go to Zara. Dad. Uh, I'm going to Zara. You want to send me some money? And I said, no. (laughs) But I wanted to send her like a hundred bucks. You only spent 20? Okay. You're home now. I don't have to worry about it. The guilt is gone. (laughs) Jacob's name literally means supplanter. We don't know that word. Trickster is another that it's it's a word of equal definition. Trickster. He was a lifelong deceiver. A trickster who stole his older brother's birthright and his father's blessing. He stole it. To say he was untrustworthy is a bit of an understatement. Yet Jacob came from a good family the son of one of the most famous men in history. He grew up in church, if you will, because Abraham and Isaac passed down to their sons the stories of their encounters with God. Jacob had a calling on his life and a divine destiny to fulfill, but he couldn't be trusted in his present state. But all of that was about to change with one encounter. Now I'm going to read the next three verses back to Genesis 
32. I'm going to pick up at verse 27. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. I imagine after one or two hours, they wrestled all night long. I mean, it was a sweaty mess for Jacob. You watch wrestling these days, high school teams, the Olympics. These guys, I don't want to get close to them because they're just, they, they're buff, but they're sweaty. I imagine they smell. <laughs> After two hours of wrestling and grappling for the advantage, Jacob probably felt pretty confident that he was going to receive the blessing. He probably thought to himself, well, at some point, this angelic, whatever it is, is going to stop, have me get down on my knees and put his hands on my head. But that's not what happened. There was a surprise in store for Jacob. The Lord didn't stretch out his arm with an open hand of blessing because Jacob didn't need another blessing on his messed up life. He needed a new life. Instead, the Lord doubled up his fist and struck Jacob in the thigh. And it was a lot stronger than Larry. Larry, while ago, just kind of tapped me and said, (laughs) this was... He, he doubled up his fist and struck Jacob's thigh yeah. with such power that it knocked his thigh out of joint and permanently injured the, the ligaments, the connective ligaments. As a result, Jacob limped for the rest of his life. Yeah. You know the story. If you don't, go back and read it. When Jacob's older brother Esau finally saw Jacob limp into view. He probably thought, that's, that's not the same Jacob that stole my birthright. There's, there's, there's something different about him. He doesn't even walk the same. There comes... Bobby walking into morning prayer. Something happened to him. He doesn't walk the same. Any one of us. He saw there's there's a humility in his walk. There's a tenderness about him. He's different. I can't kill him. He's my brother. 
He wanted to kill the old brother. But he embraced the new Jacob. I wonder how people will feel about us if they discover a new version of us. Jacob probably wanted a blessing that would cause Esau to be submissive to him. But God blessed him in a different way. He changed him so that his brother would like him. You ever just run into somebody who you just know they must be Christians and there's something about them that you just love. Nicole and I discovered a new show on the Discovery Plus app. You know, we have that on our, uh, it's one of those streaming apps. And so on the Magnolia Network, you know, Chip and Joanna started their own network. Well, on their network, there's a show called The Established Home. And so Nicole, came, while the kids were gone, Nicole said, I found this show, we gotta watch it. And so I watched the first episode with her. And I was like, they have three sons and a daughter and they all help with this family business. And I was like, I told Nicole, I want to know them. I, I, they must be Christians. I like them. What I want to see is an episode where they're at church and we see them worshiping. Well, we, we didn't see that. But after we watched the six episodes, Nicole started stalking them on social media. <laughs> and found a video of them standing in the living room. Now, I saw their living room with the piano in the corner. And so they're standing in their living room. And they're all in a circle. One of them has a guitar. And I think mom was over on the piano. And she's like 60 years old. And they're singing, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. Worship his holy name. So uh, I'm like, I was right. So, so this, is, this is the deal. There, there, are, there is something about someone who is touched by Jesus that changes your entire personality. Let me keep moving. I don't even know where I'm at. Oh, it's okay. Sometimes I, I don't know why I stop and see what time it is. The church has been, the church that I grew up and it have, have experienced uh, throughout my life, has been strutting down the sidewalks of the world in arrogance, pointing fingers of incrimination in every direction, telling everybody, you need to get right. I see it sometimes even on coming down Stacy. Uh, they've got somebody standing out, and they're, it's not like repent and get saved, but it's like with this mean countenance you're going to hell it's you know it's just what it looks like i don't hear them say that but that's it's just this mean judgmental meanwhile we have like this huge board sticking out of our eye a mile long it's time for us to say god i don't know whether you will bring a blessing or a changing but something has to happen. Teach us, God, how to build mercy seats instead of judgment seats. 
so that when they do come in, and they will come. I mean, right now we, we are pretty much a, a greenhouse for believers, but the lost will come in here. They'll hear about. Something will draw them, and they must see mercy and not judgment. We need to have encounters with God that leave us changed forever. I'm tired of coming to church and getting touched and not changed. We must lock on to the presence of God and say, I'm not letting you go until something happens inside of me. And I'll never be the same again. This is the God kind of change that permanently wounds the old man. It causes the death of something inside of us. People should see us coming with a new limp, a new tenderness, born on the day we wrestled with God for our destiny. Do we even know what that's like when we've been praying, but have we really, have we really laid ourselves on the altar? Never trust someone who does not walk with a lamp. I think I said it right that time. I want to read to you something from uh, uh, some writings and some words of Duncan Campbell. Have you ever heard of Duncan Campbell? was the one who led the great revival in the Hebrides Islands. Uh, this story is so gripping, and I just have to read this. Duncan Campbell of Hebrides Revival fame knew what it was like to wrestle with destiny and lose. These are Daniel's words. I'll tell you how the Hebrides revival started. It did not really start with me showing up to preach some big conference. It started in my study. Years before, I had been a part of what they called the faith mission movement in England. Before I was married, I rode my bicycle all over England, spreading the gospel, preaching and functioning as best as I knew how. And those were the beginning great days. Those were the seedbeds of everything that I eventually became. In the process of that, I decided to go back to school and further my education. I came out at the top of the dean's list and began to be known as the Right Reverend Duncan Campbell. Some of y'all aren't familiar with that kind of language. Everybody say, the right Reverend Duncan Campbell. Campbell became the most renowned preacher in England at the time. The pinnacle event of the English church world was an annual national conference called Keswick Week. It's still going on today, although it's not as large as it once was. Only the best and brightest were invited to speak at Keswick Week. And the right Reverend Duncan Campbell was the keynote speaker for this conference year after year. Then a chance comment by his teenage daughter launched him 
into a contest with God that changed his ministry and the Hebrides revival forever. Duncan Campbell was in his mid-40s and had entered what he thought was his prime. He was working in his study preparing sermons for yet another Keswick week when his 15-year-old daughter came in to see him. Daughters are known for their ability to speak the truth without really knowing the impact of what they're saying. It's true. It's true, Grace. As Duncan Campbell and his daughter talked, she asked this question. Dad, why doesn't God use you like he used me? Campbell told one of his English friends, he said, it knocked the wind out of my sails because I thought I was at my peak. When she asked me that question, I was preparing sermons that would affect all of England, or so I thought. So I put my pen down and asked her, my dear, what is it that you mean? She said, dad, you've told me stories of what used to happen when you worked in the faith mission movement. Why doesn't God do that with you anymore? I made some lame brain excuses and tried to theologically talk through it so I wouldn't lose face in front of my daughter, he said. I held my composure until she left the room. When she did, I fell on my face and said, God, She's right. With my face in the carpet, I wept hot tears and said, God, if you will give me back what I had, I will do whatever you tell me. Three weeks later, I was sitting on a platform at a conference. I had already spoken and was scheduled to speak again. Then God spoke to me. And said, get up and go to the Hebrides Islands, to the Isle of Lewis. I said, God, I'm supposed to speak. And he said just as clearly as I've ever heard anything said, Duncan, on the floor of your study, you promised me that you would do whatever I asked you if I would give you back what you had. Then he said, if you will go, I will give it. Duncan Campbell left the platform immediately and leaned over to the conveners to say, I'm sorry, something has come up. I've got to go. Within three days, he was on the Isle of Lewis. When he stepped off the ferry boat and asked for the pastor, the townspeople replied, there is no pastor. There are only three churches here. Two of them are closed. And one has some elderly ladies meeting in it with the postman. But if you're looking for a religious man, the postman is the one you'll be looking for. The postman was the elder in the church who basically held things together and served as an interim pastor. Duncan Campbell found the postman's house and knocked on the door, not knowing what to expect. 
The postman answered the door and immediately said, Oh, Mr. Campbell, you're right on time. We have just enough time for tea before the meeting starts tonight. Praying people. Praying people who listen and hear the voice of God. He said, six weeks ago, I printed posters that announced that the meetings would begin tonight. Mr. Campbell Campbell tells, it dawned on me then that God really didn't need me. He had already prepared it, but he really wanted me. Duncan Campbell wrestled with God over his destiny, and he rose from his tear-stained carpet a changed man. Only a man with a limp could be trusted with what would later be called the New Hebrides Revival. This revival gave us a glimpse of what could happen if God comes down upon an entire region. Thousands came to Christ without hearing a single sermon, without listening to a single preacher, and without stepping foot inside a church building. And this happened about a century ago before the days of widely available mass media. This non-tongue-speaking, much-heartbreaking revival swept an entire region was nothing less than miraculous. It began in the brokenhearted prayers of persistent worshipers and was launched in Duncan Campbell's heart the day he wrestled with God. The story goes, they gathered that first night, maybe 40, 50 people in the room, but there was a group, more than just the older ladies, there's a group that prayed and prayed and prayed and there was one a man sitting in the back of the church. And so they went through this first service and it was just a basic kind of pretty good service, but nothing extraordinary. So about nine o'clock or so, 9.30, they dismissed and people are walking out the back door. But this one man is just still sitting there in his seat. And before the last three or four people left, he just begins at the top of his voice, God, you promised. They prepared and expected a move. And a move didn't come yet. God, you promised. The people that were still there were just kind of scared them and arrested them. And the, the grip of God's hand suddenly hit that place. There were people walking home. And lights started coming on in the houses of people because conviction, the conviction, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit hit their homes and they rose up out of their sleep and hit their knees on the floor and suddenly realized, I am a sinner. I I don't even know what to do. God, if you're real, come to me. And people, it said that Duncan would walk to the mills And the glory of God would strike the place. And people would would just, somebody, tell me how to get saved. Somebody, what can I do to get saved? It's like this wasn't even happening in the building. It eventually eventually came to the building as people were saved and and came into the kingdom. But, But God started moving on this island. 
They tell us, they tell us this story is true. The infamous Bible in our president's hand in front of the chapel that he was holding up is actually a Bible that was sent from one of Donald Trump's relatives that were present. This Bible was present at that great revival. A thread of promise still extending to ungodly people. I realize it's a risk to even bring up his name and and have people get offended. I just want to say, get over it. I'm not endorsing anybody. I'm telling, except I'm endorsing the hand of God. And God will begin to reach the unlost. He'll weave the thread through the hearts of people. And when he starts pulling it, and the pieces of the fabric start lining up and coming together, and the picture of revival is born in the earth. Jacob needed a change if he was ever going to move into his God-ordained destiny. He needed a change. And I'll just tell you, the church needs a change too. If we're going to move to the next level, we must shift our emphasis away from God's hands to God's face. I'll, I'll, I'll tell it like this. When we moved to Dallas, Nicole and I were in itinerant ministry, full-time itinerant ministry, living in Nashville, Tennessee, and then God spoke to us to move to Dallas. And so we came here and became a part of Covenant Church. We were uh, just attending and under the covering for the first year here. And so when we moved into our house out in Flower Mound, I'm going to tell this story, Gracie. This is your story and my story, but it is God's story. And so we moved in, and all the neighbors started bringing cookies over and Rice Krispie treats, welcoming us to the neighborhood. I was like, ah, I love Texas. <laughs> and uh, so there's a little girl right next door. Wasn't her name Grace, too? Canna, same thing, close. Canna. <laughs> Canna was Gracie's age, and uh, she started telling her about the daughter, father daughter dance that they were having around Valentine's Day season. So, uh, Gracie came to me, dad, can we go to the father, the daddy daughter dance? And, and I was like, God, I can't dance. I'm Pentecostal. <laughs> the best I got is the sway, you know, <laughs> and hope that people don't realize you really can't dance. You know, sometimes, you know, you try to dip the shoulder just a little bit <laughs> to fool them and make you think you got Dad, can we go? It's amazing what children can get their fathers to do. Hear the prophetic statement. 
So I find myself on the ballroom floor with my six-year-old beautiful little girl dancing to Hannah Montana. <laughs> Get the best of both worlds. Yeah. And I'm doing something, and at one point, Gracie looks up and she says, Dad, you don't have to copy me. You can do your own thing. Do you remember saying that? <laughs> and I was like, oh. It was just, it melted my heart. And then the song slowed. The song, they started a slow song. I think it was Butterfly Kisses. And I reached down and picked Gracie up, and I'm, so I'm holding her, her legs are dangling, and she's laying on my shoulder for a little bit, and Butterfly Kisses. I can't remember all the words, but it was touching my heart. And so at, at some point, Gracie pulls back, and with both hands on my cheeks, she said, I want to go to the daddy-daughter dance every year. Yeah, that's what I did. I was like, if she had known, I would have taken her and purchased anything in the world she asked for. Because she got my face. And when you get my face, my heart says, my bank is yours too. Dad, can you send me some money? I'm going shopping. It was that tone in her voice that I could sense over a text. And I wanted to so bad, but I have learned now that she's 21 to say no. God is shifting us from this pursuing of the hand of God. God, I need this. I need this. I need this. And he wants us to step into this place of pursuing his face. And this is not a way to manipulate God so that you can get what you really want. This is this level of pursuit that God, I'm just going to push your hands to the side. I need you. I want your face. And now I will not let go. There's a shift coming into the passionate people. He will give the ring of authority and the robe of blessing because he trusts that you won't squander your relationship by seeking his hands instead of his face. He's determined to change the way we have church. Because we are people of P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, -E -E, not P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. -E I talked about that weeks ago. And 
saying prayers with Carson. And I, we, we, I just started talking to him about the presence of God. And he said, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, -E, right? When I hear that come out of his mouth, it motivates me to run to the store and buy P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. It's an abuse of blessings to take from the Father's hands to finance your journey away from the Father's face. There's a shift coming. There's a shift coming. I'm tired of driving home from church with nothing changed. I'd rather come back from an encounter with God limping instead of leaping. I want my destiny to, to change. I want it to be different. It's time to call on the Jacobs who've grown so sick of themselves that they'll wrestle with their destiny until they've been touched by God. Even if they come home with a limp and an eternal change of heart. I wonder if we have any Jacobs. <sighs> Who will join me? themselves on an altar of sacrifice. I wonder, I wonder, are there any Jacobs in the house who will say, I will not let you go until you touch me. I don't care if I lose my dignity. I don't care if it causes me to walk with a limp. I want to be so changed that when I step anywhere, if I'm walking inside to pay for gas at the gas station, that the attendant will say, restaurant when he comes to take your order what 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 is what is it about you guys that is so appealing thank you for joining us today at the dwell church podcast for more information about dwell church visit us at dwell.church